Welcome to Ed Talks, an audio podcast presented by Achieve Minneapolis and the Citizens League in partnership with Indigo Education and Pollen. Ed Talks is a lively series of community conversations about public education and related issues that impact our young people. Each Ed Talks features two compelling short presentations by cutting edge educators, youth advocates, students, artists, or community leaders. Ed Talks is supported by generous grants from the Bush Foundation and the Vern C. Johnson Family Foundation. This Ed Talks focuses on creating inclusive classrooms, what success looks like. Our featured speaker is Jennifer Summerness. Jennifer is the Executive Director of Inclusive Schools at Kids Included Together, KIT, and an adjunct professor at the University of St. Thomas. A nationally recognized leader in disability inclusion, she brings over 25 years of experience and a deep passion for inclusive education to all she does. Jennifer works closely with families, teachers, administrators, and community members to create inclusive schools and communities that support students through innovative, diverse learning strategies. This Ed Talk was recorded in front of a live audience at Ice House in Minneapolis on March 11th, 2019. Thank you so much. I, um, I'm a, a roamer, so <laughs> I'm glad I saw a stand earlier, so I'm happy to be able to kind of move around. Thank you so much, everybody, for being here, and thank you for the introduction. And um, I think this is really exciting to be here tonight um, in a casual space and be able to have a conversation around including kids with disabilities uh, in our schools. Uh, so really appreciate everybody being here. The lighting up there, hi guys. <laughs> um, so one of the things that I get asked a lot is how does it look when I go into schools? Why am I there? Uh, how does that happen? Um, so I have worked with probably now, if I added them up, thousands of teams. Um, and doing the work around kids with the most complex needs. Um, so one of the things that I think that we think about when we're thinking about including kids with disabilities, there's a lot of data out there that tells us that we're doing okay with this. Um, and so one of the things I wanted to show you is this is actually information that if you're interested, I have some copies of the latest impact from Institute on Community Integration. Um, and this is in there, uh, as well as many other pieces of, of really great information that's just come out. But what we need to think about is where we're at. And so on the right, you can see the 63%, that green is where we're talking about all kids with disabilities and where they're spending their time during the day, okay? So 63% of those kids across the nation are spending time in general ed settings. This makes us feel pretty good. It's up like 6% since the last 10 years or so. And if you look, then the 19%, those are kids who are you know, spending some time in resource classes. Uh, or we have the, the yellow, which is time for kids that are pulled out more than 80% of their day. The red is uh, different settings. Could be hospitals, could be separate schools, that type of thing, right? And so the right-hand side is all kids. 
with disabilities in our schools. And I would say that there's a lot more work to do with even that circle. But if you look to the circle to the left-hand side, those are the kids with the significant disabilities. Okay, so if we're looking at those kids who have the most complex needs or that have some, uh, you know, different types of learning that they require, then we're talking 79% of those kids are out of the general ed more than 80% of their day. So that's not so great, right? And 13% of them are in different settings altogether institutions, separate schools, right? So you add those two things up, and our kids with significant needs or complex needs are not there, right? They're not in our gen ed settings. And the 3% is the ones that are in the gen ed settings up to 80% of their day, and the 4% are the ones that are receiving resource time, okay? So this is the reality. So when we talk about how we're doing, we're not doing that great for kids who have more complex needs. So why does this matter? It matters very much to me because I think that learning in a self-contained setting, absent of our brothers, sisters, neighbors, and friends, is something that is like learning to drive in a parking lot and never taking our car out on the road, okay? So we need to be able to teach kids to do things outside of that parking lot. They need to practice across people and places and settings. And if they don't, then we get those adult outcomes that we know exist right now for kids too where they're not actualizing their valued life outcomes, they're not having jobs that they're getting paid for. These, these are facts, that's data of those kids who have the most complex needs. So there's this huge gap in what we want for these kids versus what we're getting. And what we can do is by including kids more often, we can get there. Um, I've been doing this work for about 25 years. I don't even like to do the math on that anymore. <laughs> but there's one thing that I know is that the more complex a person is, the more significant their disability is, the more we need to figure out what their strengths are, okay? So there's one simple fact. If we wanna know what success looks like for this group of kids that we're talking about, we need to do this. We need to have a paradigm shift. And the best part about a paradigm shift, I think, is with tight budgets and things, it's free. And so it's something that we can do right now. It's something that we don't have to wait for the system to catch up. It's something that we can immediately take as something that we are going to adhere to this way of thinking and talking and writing and acting. So if you think about kids presuming competence, if you make the least dangerous assumption, which is that a person can, least dangerous assumption is that we assume that a person can do something, right? If you talk 
Knowing language is everything. So being careful about how you say things, what you say about kids. And if you write about kids in these ways, and so when I'm talking about that, I'm talking about IEPs, which are formal and legal evaluations, but I'm also talking about notes home to families. If we write, think, talk in strength-based ways and establish this new norm. And then ultimately, what's most important, even if you can do those first three, is acting. So we have to act that way. And so when we're teachers in schools, if we have the other three, that's really, really a good start. But we have to act in strength-based ways on kids' behalf with fidelity. And that's the magic. That's it. Um, and I'm going to tell you one story tonight to show you how powerful just this piece of, of thinking about the kids that we're with. And again, I'm talking about that big yellow band of 79% of the kids are in self-contained settings. I'm talking about the most significant kids, most significant needs, because th those are the kids that I get called in for. I don't get called in for the easy kids. Easy kids, right? Actually, I think they're pretty easy, but... <laughs> Let me tell you one story. This is Gage. Gage was shaken when he was 10 weeks old by his dad. And he sustained a traumatic brain injury that he has had many surgeries, he's doctor's appointments on Fridays, every Friday. Um, when I heard and learned about Gage, his mom called me, and I remember it was June. It was hot, which I wish it were June and hot. <laughs> but it was June. I was in my car, and it was a Saturday. And typically, I don't pick up the phone if I don't know who's calling on a Saturday. And I was sitting outside a Target, and the phone rang. And I looked at the number, and I thought, oh. And I picked it up. And it was Penny, Gage's mom who I had never met. And a friend of a friend had like introduced us, sent her my way, and she thought maybe I could help. So she and I had a conversation in that parking lot, and I was like sweating. It was like 97 degrees that day. <laughs> but I couldn't help it, because she started to tell me this story about Gage and how he had been shaken when he was 10 weeks old. And this was like the middle of June. and. April 20th, and I tell you that date because that's an important date to remember, but April 20th of that school year, he had gone to school and hurt himself so badly that he got sent home, and this mom hadn't heard from the school again, didn't know what to do. You know, there are all sorts of things about that that are, you know, icky legal things that are, right? But, but her plea was, what do I do? Can you help? And we both cried, like, a lot. And so I'm sitting in a 97-degree car in Target parking lot <laughs> crying with this woman who I've never met about what we're going to do. And she said, what, what do I do? And I said, I know what, exactly what to do. 
we're going we're gonna to bring him home to his home school. Because here's, here's the part of the story that I forgot to mention. Since first grade, Gage was attending school only one hour a day because of the behaviors he had, because of the frustration, because of the anxiety, because of the self-interest stuff. One hour a day. And he would bus from the school he was in because the services, of course, were better at the district neighboring, and it's a smaller district. And, and so he would bus for an hour and go to this other district for an hour and then bus home for an hour. And he had been doing that when she called. He was in sixth grade. He had been doing that since first grade. So in that one hour that he was there on April 20th, where they had kind of cleared out a room where this is where he would be, he'd come for that hour, he'd spend his time there, a room that had a chair and a desk, but pretty much nothing else, because they were worried that he was going to throw things or do, you know, something out of frustration and anxiety and things like that. So when she called me in June, it had been a full month since he had hurt himself. And I'm not even going to describe how, how he hurt himself, but he did. Um, and she called me and said, what do I do? And I said, no, I totally know what to do. And of course, she thinks I'm like, I have three heads, right? <laughs> she thought I was absolutely crazy. Of course, she thinks it's a great idea to do anything felt good. But I said, we're going to bring him home to his home school, where he's with his brothers and sisters and neighbors and friends that he hasn't been since kindergarten. And then we're going to teach his team think, to think about him in strength-based ways, to talk and write and act in strength-based ways, to focus on his passions, what he loves, what he's good at. And, and we're going to bring him home. And that's what we're going to do. And we're going to put him in general ed all day for a full day. And again, she thought I had three heads. So, of course, I went to the school, and we suggested this. And it was one of those things where it was kind of like, it's either this option, bring me in and try my crazy ideas, or some legal options that were less, less fun for schools to think about. And of course, they picked me, which was great. Um, and so this was the night before I met Gage, because when I was talking to the school about it, they said, have you even met Gage? No, I hadn't. And it doesn't matter, because if we focus on those things, even the kids with the most complex needs, we can figure it out. Over, under, around, or through, we're going to figure it out as a team of teachers. We can do that, right? So. The school didn't have the services in place, didn't have the people, didn't have the... And I said, that's okay. I'll come in. I'll, I'll help. I'll, I'll be the paraprofessional for Gage until we figure it out. And then I'll, I'll coach you guys about what, what I find out about him and, and that sort of thing. And so this was the night before. Uh, it was his first time FaceTiming. Uh, we had never met before. <laughs> And there I am, and he, this is Sunday night. He's, he's supposed to start, and we started like a half day that day that he did come back. Um, only, you know, so the good whys. Why did we do a half day? Because that's what we thought Gage needed, okay? Not because we didn't have the money, not because we didn't have the staff, not because the schedule wasn't in place, but the good whys that we need to answer. Why, why started a half day? Because that's what Gage needed, okay? So he... 
he FaceTimes me like this, and he's got it like right up tight because he wants to check out who's this crazy lady that's going to meet him in the parking lot the next day that he had never met. And he asked me two questions. He said, what's your job, and what do I call you? <laughs> and I said, well, my job is to make sure that you're happy at school, and you can call me anything but late for dinner, right? And, and he thought it was hilarious because he, he just thinks that stuff's funny. And, you know, and so there were things that I knew about him at that point that his mom had told me. Like, what, what are his strengths? What does he love? What does he like? I knew things like he liked to have something in his hand, and if he starts doing this, it means that he's starting to get upset. And I knew that he liked wrestling, and I knew who his favorite wrestler was. And so I showed up the next day, to this, which is in the parking lot, five minutes after I had met him, and we had met for the first time, and I gave him a keychain with Triple H, I think is the wrestler. <laughs> and we were fast friends, right? And we spent the day, and I, I talked to him about, you know, what's coming up, and, and what to really, you know, be excited about. And, and he was told by his doctors, which he had many, that if you, look great, you do great. So he showed up with his tie. Before this, and so part of it is like making sure you're focusing on the stuff that matters for kids, okay? So part of it is that his last team, it's not that they were bad, it's not that it was wrong, it's that they were focused on the wrong stuff. Like what can't he do? What do we need to fix? What are we gonna work on? But instead, the new team, we focused on what can he do? What can we increase? What does he need more of? So one of the things that they had kept data on was that they thought that he could only sit for 15 minutes. And they actually kept data on this, which is like crazy to me. Could only sit for 15 minutes and that he would only be able to attend for two minutes and 30 seconds. Now, as a teacher, I don't know that I'd want to track that data about a kid for a very long time, right? This is after four hours, two days back, sitting for four hours in his gen ed class, right? This is him at lunch with all of his friends he hasn't seen since kindergarten. This is the text that I got from him. I don't know if you can see that. Take time for the laugh. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> so awesome, right? And he's carrying himself in different ways. This is one year to the date, April 20th. One year later, he is in school full time with all of his peers successfully all day I pull him out of school on April 20th so that we can present together what success looks like at the Minnesota Brain Injury Alliance Conference. It looks like me, he says. Six months later, we went to his first time on an airplane, Atlanta, and we did it again at the National TASH Convention together. He wears this jacket even in the dead of summer. <laughs> now, what I want to tell you is it's not all rainbows, right? It's not like this is just like some magic thing that happens, although I do think it's magic. 
But I also think it takes teams working through stuff. There were things that were not perfect. There were days that he was sent home because he did get upset, right? He actually doesn't have an IEP goal based on behavior anymore. It's been two years. He doesn't have a behavior plan and no goal around behavior. But it's because his team gets together and we figure it out. And we've helped him understand how to cope, what his triggers are. What's it going to look like when you're starting to get upset? He didn't even know that he did this, right? And I'm, I'm going to get the hook. Um, but these things happen now, too. These are friends from down the street that come over and play games with him for the first time ever. He got to go to the Vikings game. I'm sorry, to the Super Bowl because all of his doctors that he's been going through for his whole life voted him as the most appropriate person for working so hard at what he's doing. And it is hard. It's really hard. And he has bad days. And his teachers have bad days. He was told the other day to be nice to his teacher. <laughs> and I think he punched his principal once. So it, it's not perfect, but it's so much better. What I want you to know is that it's not special. Right? Special ed isn't special. What we do as teachers isn't special. The paradigm shift of shifting to a strength-based way of thinking about kids, think, talk, write, act, that's it. And yes, it's work, but it's different work. It's not necessarily harder work, it's just different work. So if we can put ourselves into those places where we open up to the possibility of what happens if we put our brains together, special ed teachers and gen ed teachers together. What happens? This happens. And I think my time is almost up. So how can we make sure every student has a bright future? When you include human beings, they become includers. Thank you very much. Ed Talks is presented by Achieve Minneapolis and the Citizens League in partnership with Indigo Education and Pollen. Thanks to our generous sponsors, the Bush Foundation and the Vern C. Johnson Family Foundation. For more information on Ed Talks or to watch Ed Talks videos or listen to audio podcasts, visit AchieveMPLS.org.